What is the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost? This question will be a little bit of a deep dive tonight, but for just reference on some sources that we already have, we actually already have several uh, podcasts done on this topic, actually quite a few, uh, so hopefully we'll We'll address some of the technical questions tonight to help solve uh, some, some of the basic issues to give a framework for further and deeper study. Um, for a short version, I actually highly recommend uh, this video done through the Zombre DOC channel. It's about 13 minutes. What is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost? This is a, a great short version, so so take a look at that if you want. This will be a little bit more of a deeper dive, uh, so join with me for that. We'll try and answer a lot of these basic questions. Uh, we're going to look at not only just a basic idea of what is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, uh, but how do we get it, uh, why do we need it, um, how does it happen, uh, You know, who can receive it, who can give it, um, uh, some other elements... How does it relate to the gift of the Holy Ghost? Uh, how does it relate to redemption, um, sanctification, um, the born again idea? We got a bunch of bunch of great points that we need to examine with this topic, and and I'm sure there will be a few that that aren't covered that have been covered by other ones. So hopefully. We, uh, Hopefully we'll we'll get enough to get you going. So let's take a quick look to start us off. This idea: What is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost? Being a baptism, we're talking about ordinances, okay? But right off the bat, it is the second half of a complete baptism. We obviously have baptism of water. So looking at this statement from Jesus to Nicodemus in John chapter three. Verse 5, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we have this two, these two notions of being born of water and of the Spirit. Uh, so it is second half of the baptism, or if we jump over to Alma 7, Alma gives us a really similar statement. Verse 14, Now I say unto you that ye must repent and be born again, for the Spirit saith, if ye are not born again, ye cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore come and be baptized unto repentance, that ye may be washed from your sins, that ye may have faith in the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world, who is mighty to save and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Now, this cleansing has multiple levels. It is, it is hopefully clear that being baptized by water doesn't actually cleanse us that that is a symbolic event. However, our repentance and our our, uh, our broken heart and our contrite spirit uh, brings helps bring that remission of sins through the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so we're going to take a look at some of this. Uh, I do want to point something out that's interesting, though, here in Jesus' statement. Jesus here born of water and of the Spirit, mentioning these two parts of the baptism. Well, interestingly, we have born of water and the Spirit, and yet we have baptism of water, fire, and the Holy Ghost, which is three. And 
And Joseph points this out as well in our uh, in this statement of the King Fall Discourse. So let me just pull that up here. So from the King Follett Discourse, I will make a few remarks upon baptism. The baptism of water with the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost attending it is necessary and inseparably connected. We must be born of water and the Spirit in order to get into the kingdom of God, which we just read from from, uh, John chapter 3. Found in the German Bible is a text that bears me out the same as revelations which I have given and taught for 14 years about baptism. This is what Joseph's entire ministry was focused on, and we're going to see tonight why that's so important. I have the testimony to put in their teeth that my testimony has been true all the time. You'll find it in the declaration of John the Baptist. So here we'll get another verse. I'll read a text in German upon baptism. He reads in German. John says, I baptize you with water, but when Jesus... Christ comes, who has the power and keys, he will administer the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Great God, now where is all the sectarian world? If this testimony is true, they're all damned as clearly as any anathema ever was. Why is Joseph saying this, by the way? Joseph's saying this because baptism of water was the focus of, of these um, all these sects of religion. And interestingly, uh, if we take a step back, we might notice that uh, even in our own church, it has been the primary focus. Now, the talk of gift of the Holy Ghost is definitely there, but as we focus on understanding these elements of the baptism of fire the Holy Ghost, we'll come to realize that it is not talked about as clearly as it probably should be, as we see here. So let's continue. Okay, I baptize you with water, Holy Ghost. Okay, this. um I know the text is true. I'll call upon to say I, shouts of I. Alexander Campbell, how are you going to save them with water or water alone? John said his baptism was good for nothing without the baptism of Jesus Christ. So the baptism of water is good for nothing without the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now this statement needs to be taken in the full context because uh, some people take it to say, well, it, baptism of water doesn't mean anything. Well, if it didn't mean absolutely anything, then there would be zero need to have it. There is need to have it, um, but it's not complete without it, is really the, the statement here, okay? So, many talk of any baptism not being essential to salvation, but this would lay the foundation of their damnation. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of baptism, etc., there is one God, one Father, one Jesus, one hope of our calling, one baptism. And then look at this verse, or this statement here, that is, all three baptisms make one. Now, when you're going through any amalgamation of these notes from not only the King Fall Discourse, but any discourse from the Prophet Joseph Smith, uh, we do not have the entire discourse. This is not the exact order he said everything, be- or sorry, this isn't every word that he said here. He would have had to have said a lot more words because uh, we only have about 30 minutes of text on this discourse. He spoke for, what, two or three hours, at least two hours, if not, if not more. So, the focus here is understanding that there are three baptisms, water, fire, and the Holy Ghost. And yet, we have this statement, born of water and of the Spirit, as if there's just these two parts, uh, water and the Spirit. So, let's talk about that just for a brief second. Uh, How do you get between three and go down to two? It's Here's the brief explanation, then we'll take a look. So, 
baptism of the Spirit or of the Holy Ghost is the part that is the born born of the Spirit is the part that we need for salvation. That's the part that that is the adoption process that makes us sons or daughters of Christ. That's what part of what we're looking at tonight. Uh, it's also adopting us into the house of Israel, becoming the seed of Abraham. That process has come through is coming through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of fire is something that sanctifies us and brings us to a level where that process can happen through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the baptism of fire being an event that can happen more than once throughout our lives in and of itself is not the saving ordinance. So the baptism of water is part of the saving ordinance. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the saving ordinance. But you cannot get the baptism of the Holy Ghost without being cleansed from all your sins through the sanctification of the baptism of fire that brings you up to a level spiritually high enough that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You must be sanctified to have that interaction uh, with the Holy Ghost, to have that baptism. That's the general idea why Jesus would say just the two parts, born of water, born of the Spirit, as we see here. In John chapter 3, okay? So, three baptisms are happening, but the the salvation ordinance comes through water and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, some people think that baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost is just one thing, um, and it's only part true to say that. Because baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost is an event which uh, we're going to take a quick look at. It is a single event that happens in a person's life that is um, extremely distinguishable above all, of the, all other events that they could possibly happen. Uh, we see a couple elements that we are going to take a look at here. A couple elements that we want to pay attention to are fire from heaven, angels ministering, uh, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost or being filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, so we're going to pull up Helaman chapter 5. We have a couple of references that we want to look at here. Here are 300 Lamanites uh, that received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. When they cast their eyes about and saw the cloud of darkness had dispersed from overshadowing them, Behold, they were encircled about every soul by a pillar of fire. Okay, so here there's that element. Nephi and Lehi were in the midst of them. Yea, they were encircled about. Yea, they were as if in the midst of flaming fire. Yet, of course, it didn't harm them. didn't take hold of the walls of the prison. This statement here is interesting. Neither did it take hold of the walls of the prison. That's very uh, similar to this idea of this great glory that's happening. Joseph uh made a similar description. Well, in the grove, the glory of the Father in Jesus Christ was so much he thought the grove would take fire. Uh, Mormon is making a similar comparison here with the great glory going on, thought that it would catch everything on fire, and it didn't. And they were filled with joy, which is unspeakable, and full of glory. There it is again. All right, and jumping over to 3 Nephi 19, we see that element here in the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost with the 12 disciples. So the Holy Ghost did fall upon them. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But So uh, this being the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but here's the baptism of fire. Behold, they were encircled about as if it were by fire. It came down from heaven. And the multitude did witness it. So everybody saw it and did bear record. And angels did come down out of heaven and minister unto them. Okay? Even angels. Um, 
uh, back here in Helium 5, uh, same idea. Uh, if we jump down to verse 48, they saw the heavens open and angels came down and ministered unto them. So we have this idea of not only fire from heaven, but also angels ministering. Now, what's what's curious about this is this sounds quite miraculous and quite remarkable and it causes someone like me to say, uh, I haven't really heard much about these types of experiences happening. And that's a valid question to ask, and I would encourage everybody listening to ask themselves that question. Do you have you heard about this happening? If you think if you think you have had it, um, then I would be interested to knowing about it and interested in hearing you compare your experience to what these experiences were. And if you say, "Well, is it supposed to be just like we're hearing here?" Well, that is also a good question, and we ought to take a look at it. Jesus says yes uh, in Third Nephi chapter nine verse twenty. Look at this: "Ye shall offer for sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost." There it is. And then the next phrase is key: even as the Lamanites. Because their faith in me, time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Well, let's take a look at each of the phrases here. So we are talking about baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost with the Lamanites, even as the Lamanites. So just like them, well, that's this account here in Helaman chapter 5. Even as the Lamanites, at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost. And then we have this fun phrase here, and they knew it not. Now, a lot of people, I kid you not, and even... um, even as often, all the time. In fact, just today it happened where people will quote this phrase, they knew it not, and and they will interpret that phrase as in they had no idea that it happened to them. Well, that interpretation is not accurate because of the account here in Helaman 5. If we go back and we look here at the end, uh, verse 49, there were about 300 souls who saw and heard these things. 300 people experienced what we just read about the fire and the being filled with joy and the unspeakable glory and the angels, all that stuff. 300, and then look at the next phrase. They were bidden or told to go forth and marvel not, neither should they doubt. To marvel not and not doubt. So look at the next verse, verse 50. And it came to pass that they did go forth and minister unto the people, declaring throughout all the regions round about all the things which they heard and seen, had heard and seen, insomuch that the more part of the Lamanites were convinced of them because of the greatness of the evidences which they had received. So when you look at this phrase in Third Nephi 9, verse 20, they knew it not, what did they not know? If you're going to tell me that they didn't know they were encircled about by fire, that they didn't know that angels ministered unto them, they didn't hear the voice of God, and yada, and yada, all the things that are listed there, then you're not paying attention to the end of the chapter because they knew. So what did they not know? That only leaves one thing. If we're using, if we're gonna, if we're gonna use the process of deduction, that only leaves one thing that they didn't know, and they didn't know that it was called the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. They had no idea that that's what it was called. And that's the only thing that that uh, we can conclude because they knew everything else that happened. At least according to what Mormon tells us. And 
that's important because, again, going back to the statement, we're looking for these elements, even as the Lamanites. That's how he'll baptize us. I will baptize that person with fire and the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites. So the argument becomes, have I had this type of experience? Angels coming down and ministering to me. Fire from heaven. Pillars of fire. And it matches the account from 3 Nephi 19 with the 12 disciples. And that also matches the account from uh, the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. Let's jump over there. So here they are, the 12 apostles. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, the 12 apostles, just the subject in chapter 1, were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Okay, let's break this apart for just a second. Cloven tongues. Now, some people um, will take this statement and misinterpret it because the very next verse says they began to speak with other tongues. So uh, they will interpret verse three as um, as the as the gift of tongues or whatever that sat upon them, but that is not accurate. Verse four is separate from verse three, and the context proves it. The context. So this v- word tongue is the meaning of the word tongue that means like a partition or an extension or or. Or something like that, like, like something protruding, a protrusion. And so a tongue of fire is this um, partition of fire extending down from heaven. And then cloven is referring to the fact that they are separated or divided, meaning multiple tongues of fire or pillars of fire, same, same thing. Multiple or divided tongues of fire coming down from heaven and that sat on each of them, meaning it fell on them, just like we read here uh, encircled about by fire in 3519 or every soul encircled about by a pillar of fire. See? Same idea as what this is saying. And that's that's just a little bit of analysis of breaking down this Cloven tongues of fire. Now, I realize that some people will still say, well, no, the cloven tongues of fire that sat on them was this. But that just doesn't make sense because, because the you, you can be given the gift of tongues, absolutely. But the gift of tongues doesn't sit on you like as fire. No, no, no. Pillars of fire, glory of God coming upon you, being surrounded by this fire. It matches these other accounts, and that's what we're looking for. And then they were filled with the Holy Ghost. So this event fills us with the Holy Ghost, um, and this being filled with the Holy Ghost, and Jesus says the same thing when we come back here to 3 Nephi 19, just jumping down, he when he goes and prays, Father, I thank thee that thou hast given the Holy Ghost to these whom I have chosen. So that's, that's when we're given the Holy Ghost. So filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire, we see in verse 13, and then this event, we see here, given the Holy Ghost. I also pray that you will give the Holy Ghost to all them that believe on their words. So this event is when we're given the Holy Ghost. So these three, these three pieces show that it's an event. There are other examples in Scripture 
that we can look at as well. But it it helps paint that picture enough that hopefully that gives that gives the the right context for understanding them. Okay, next up is well, how how do we actually have this event happen to us, right? How do we have this event happen to us? We just read from 3 Nephi chapter 9, the short answer, we have to offer for a sacrifice a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Well, that idea is the new and everlasting covenant, the new covenant that is that has been renewed with us. That idea is we've gone into more detail in in some of these other uh, podcasts. However, a look in Second Nephi chapter thirty-one, Nephi reminds us, or kind of points it out, that. If we want to offer the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, we have to be willing to do this. Okay, so verse 10. And he, Jesus, says unto the children of men, Follow thou me. Wherefore, Nephi says, My beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus? Save we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father. So being willing to keep the commandments of the Father is key to offering the sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Okay, and further down in the chapter, he also clarifies that keeping the commandments has a lot to do with the idea of the things that God tells us, which is the word of Christ. So verse 19 and 20, You have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, replying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Well, coming coming by the word of Christ with unshaken faith in him is following the words of Christ or the words of the Lord, which are the commandments of the Lord. And then he restates again, wherefore press forward with a steadfastness in Christ. Feasting upon the word of Christ, he says right here. Same idea, feasting upon the word of Christ. So how we get it is by following the commandments of the Lord listening to the voice of the Spirit. And we see that uh, a lot in the Scriptures. It's been covered in depth in the What is the New and Everlasting Covenant. But that's how we get it. Well, when we are looking at it as a as a, a baptism, as a part of an ordinance, there is an element that we need to include. So let's jump to DNC 76, and here is the other element. So our part as a recipient, we have to fulfill that sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrary spirit, whatever those requirements are that the Lord uh, reveals to me through his commandments to me personally. Just like the Lord gave personal commandments to Lehi and Nephi, uh, getting the plates, building a ship, etc., etc., uh, I would also have those. But there is another part. Uh, section 76 in the Doctrine and Covenants, let's read verses 51 and 52. Uh, they are they who received the testimony of Jesus, believed on his name, and were baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in the water in his name. So we have a baptism of water. And this according to the commandment which he has given, which uh, Nephi is explaining. And then here, that by keeping the commandments... The commandments of the Father, which we just read about, Second Nephi thirty-one, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins. So here's 
the baptism of fire, and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying out of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. So here we have another element that it is a priesthood ordinance and someone not only must be ordained to it, but also sealed. So we have an aspect of the priesthood pointed out here, ordaining and sealing. What does that mean? Well, at the very at the very least, it means there are two parts to, to getting that power, being ordained to the power and being sealed to the power, according to that verse alone. Now, we don't have time to dive in deep what it means in depth, but it does mean that a man must receive um, the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood, um, which uh, the, the first office of which is an elder. Being an elder is being ordained to the office of elder, is being ordained to that power, but being sealed to that power is more. It's a higher step. And Jesus Christ, in the role of Holy Spirit of Promise, you even see in the next verse, sealed by the Holy Spirit of Promise, Jesus Christ, in the role of Holy Spirit of Promise, is the only one who can seal that power. All right? He's the only one that can seal that power upon a man. So that happens separately from the ordination. So that's just... An important clarification. Now, uh, in scriptures, we see plenty of examples of those who, in uh, in the flesh, you would say, lay their hands on heads and give that gift. All right? So let's just look at a quick example. Jumping back to Acts, we were just in Acts 2 when the um, apostles received this baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. If we skip to Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at an example of the apostles giving this. So let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, Philip was there preaching. In fact, if we just scroll up just a little bit, verse 12. They, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Uh, and Simon believed also, and he was baptized. Okay, so Philip was baptizing. So Philip had this power. He had been ordained to the power to baptize. All right, he had been ordained to the power to baptize. Doesn't look like he'd been sealed to it. That's, that's, uh, Conjecture on my part, but it is is an educated guess based on the circumstances. What are the circumstances? The circumstances are this. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. Okay, verse 15. Who, when they were come down to Samaria, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he, the Holy Ghost, was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Okay? Laid their hands on them and received the Holy Ghost. So there is an example of that. Now, we were just in Helaman 5. And in Helaman 5, we don't see or hear about um, anyone laying their hands on them. Now, maybe, maybe Nephi and Lehi could have done it. It doesn't say that they didn't, and it doesn't say that they did. All right? 
It does say that Nephi and Lehi were in the midst of them, and all of them were circled out by this flaming fire. So we could conjecture here with 300 of them, having 300 of them happen simultaneously, though, that's where it becomes a little bit more of an educated guess to say, I doubt that these two men could lay their hands on all of them so that happened simultaneously. It seems to have happened simultaneously, by the way Mormon says it. Now, he also doesn't say simultaneously. So it is possible, one reading Helaman 5, that Nephi and Lehi laid their hands on all 300, on the heads of all 300 uh, people there, um, which would have taken a minute. And that's fine because we don't have an exact timeline here in these verses when we're looking at it, all right? But they're praying, and they cast their eyes about and saw the cloud was dispersed. Behold, they saw they were encircled about. So this clue right here makes it seem like, no, it did. It looks like it happened simultaneously because they prayed. They begin to cry to the voice that shook the earth, okay? The cloud of darkness was over them. They wanted it to be dispersed, okay? And then when they basically after crying, now who, how long were they crying? Who knows? But this was a really intense moment uh, for them. And it makes me wonder if it was just as intense as say Alma and his conversion, Alma the younger, where it's so intense for him. You know, he's, he's suffering the pains of hell and he cries out to Jesus for deliverance. And then boom, he's born again at that moment. And who knows, I, I, I'm just spouting off some ideas that I think are important to think about because we're trying to figure out as best we can what happened with the 300. And and this is only important when we're nerding out like this, trying to figure out, okay, did, did they have someone lay the, their hands on their head just like we read from Acts chapter 8? Or in DNC, it says laying hands on, on their head. And from the looks of the verses here, as soon as they finish praying, they're already being circled out by this fire and having this baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost start to happen to them. So my personal best guess is that Lehi and Nephi did not lay their hands on all their heads because it just wouldn't have been possible to do that 300 times. But maybe it did. Maybe the prayer was so long there was enough time for it to happen. Um, so my best guess, that's my best guess. So then the answer becomes, well, then how did it happen to them? Because the statement in Doctrine and Covenants section 76 says that that ordinance can only happen by a person who is ordained and sealed to this power. Well, the answer is that there can be angels on the other side that have been ordained and sealed to this power. And those angels can administer... Uh, this ordinance. And we see that type of thing again in Mosiah chapter 5, where an even larger group of people experienced this. Um, we, Mosiah chapter, well, Mosiah chapter 4 and 5. So let's pull that up. So Mosiah chapter 4 is the end, or the end of King Benjamin's speech into the reaction or the result from his people. And then the first couple of verses, we see that they experience this baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Now, 
you'll notice that the the verses aren't exactly as clear as these other instances. It's the follow-up from chapter 5 that helps clarify it. So verse, we'll just jump down to, well, here's verse 2. They had viewed themselves in their own carnal state. Now this is reference to why in the world we need this. They viewed themselves in their own carnal state. So this helps answer the question, why do we even need the baptism of the Holy Ghost? As we go on, we're going to see more of that. And I want to just point you to another one done here by Mark Curtis, viewing ourselves in our own carnal state, which helps answer the question of why we need this. And that's what happened here to these people. They all cried aloud with one voice, saying, Oh, have mercy, and apply the atoning blood of Christ, that we may receive forgiveness of our sins, and our hearts may be purified. We believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God, who created heaven and earth, all things, who shall come down among the children of men. Okay, so here's their prayer. And after they'd spoken these words, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they were filled with joy, having received a remission of their sins, having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come according to the words of King Benjamin spoken unto them. All right, and then then King Benjamin says some more words, but then if I if we skip to chapter five, we we see that they cried aloud that um, the Spirit of the Lord made a, a mighty change in us or in our hearts that we have no more disposition to do good or to do evil. Sorry, but to do good continually, and then and then King Benjamin just scrolling down. So they says they say we're willing to enter into a covenant with God to do His will, be obedient to His commandments in all things that He shall command us. There's that, there's that um, covenant that we were talking about all the remainder of our days. And seven, verse seven, because of this covenant, you shall be called the children of Christ, His sons and His daughters. And then here it is. Here's where okay, but is this the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost? That's what we're trying to ask. For behold, this day hath He. Spiritually begotten you. So that right there is the ultimate clue. Now, the other clue is right here, which we're going to look at in just a moment, becoming his sons and his daughters. However, what we've already looked at is being born again, born spiritually, born of the Spirit. Now, King Benjamin here in Mosiah 5 verse 7 clarifies, Behold, this day he hath spiritually forgotten you. Begotten you. Not forgotten. Begotten. All right? For ye say in your hearts that ye are changed through faith on his name. Therefore ye are born, there it is, born again, born of him, and have become his sons and daughters. So that process happened to them. Now, right now, we're that we're seeing several elements all at once, but if you're if you're following along with this element, we're trying to look at this idea of uh, him who is ordained and sealed to this power. So here was a great multitude that had this happen to them basically all at once. How was it possible? Had According to DNC, it has to be by the laying on of hands. So again, the only answer left at that point in time is that it must have been from the other side through angelic ministration. That's the only answer that's left. If you can come up with another... Uh, solution, I'd love to hear it. Absolutely love to hear it. So this is how we can get it, how it, how it happens. All right. And uh, we were looking here why we need it. 
uh, we just saw they saw themselves in their own carnal state. Well, let's read here in Second Nephi two verses six to eight. Wherefore redemption comes in and through the Holy Messiah. He's full of grace and truth. Redemption. So what is redemption? Behold, he offers himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law. Here it is again, unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. So that is what brings redemption. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, for they that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits, mercy, and grace of the Holy Messiah who layeth down his life according to the flesh and taketh again by the power of the Spirit that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. So in Third Nephi chapter 9, we see we read verse 20, but if you look at verse 21, Behold, I have come into the world to bring redemption to the world, to save the world from sin. This process, being baptized with fire in the Holy Ghost, is exactly that, which is why it's the next sentence that comes out of his mouth. Behold, I came to bring redemption. I came to bring this ordinance, being born of water and of the Spirit. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus, being born of the Spirit is this moment of being redeemed. All right? And... That is the beginning of our spiritual journey. The beginning meaning the gate which we should enter. Jumping back here to 2 Nephi 31 again. We were, we were looking at that earlier. Let's read verses 17 and 18. Wherefore, do the things which I have told you, I have seen that your Lord and Redeemer should do. For for this cause have they been shown unto me, that ye might know, the gate by which he should enter, or the door, or th- which is the beginning, the entrance, that you might know the entrance. For the gate by which he should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and this should be a colon, according to, to the 1840 edition. And then cometh remission of your sins by fire and the Holy Ghost. And then, after all these things, and then after everything above this statement, you're in the straight and narrow path. So the gate is repentance, and then baptism by water, and then fire in the Holy Ghost. So that is all the gate. All of this is the gate. And once you do all of those, once you do all of those, and then you're on the straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. So you're finally on your way to eternal life. When this has happened to you, until it's happened, you're not on the way to eternal life. This event has to happen for each of us. Okay? So, we are lost and fallen, as we're reading here in Signify 2. Only through Jesus Christ can we have this happen. Now, here is another excellent verse to help point that out in Mosiah 3, during King Benjamin's discourse, just before the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost of this great multitude, we have this famous statement, for the natural man is an enemy to God. And remember, in the next chapter, they viewed themselves in their own carnal state. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam, from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. There it is. There's the new covenant. Keeping the commandments of the Father is 
this same thing, yielding to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. So then he needs to put off the natural man and become a saint to the atonement of Christ the Lord and become as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to, here it is, the covenant again, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child does submit to his father. Now, in here in this verse, the putting off the natural man, if we're going to be born again, you cannot be born again until you die. It's just, and by the way, there's a mystery. There's a mystery of the kingdom. So this ordinance is in like is in likeness of eternal things, not just in likeness of Jesus' death and, and burial and resurrection, but also for all of us, it's is multi-leveled. That's all I'll say on that. But you cannot be born again until you die. The baptism of the Spirit or the Holy Ghost is what makes us born again, and that's what we were looking at between. Uh, John 3 here at the beginning and Alma 7 being born again or born of the Spirit. All right? Now, Jesus does say, and also here in verse 3, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is born again and then born of the Spirit. So, that means you have to die. Well, what? Where? where's the die? Where's the death? Where's the death? That's what King Benjamin is insinuating when he says, putting off the natural man, put it off, to take it off. Well, I can't do that. God has to do that. And that's what the baptism of fire is all about. That burning, that baptism of fire will burn out the natural man or kill the natural man from inside of me. And that death of the natural man allows for there to be a rebirth into a spiritual man. Because I'm a man, otherwise daughter, right? A woman, if you're a woman. But the natural man in me must die, and then through that death, I'm now ready to be born again. And then, and then as I'm born again, I'm now born of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. So the baptism of fire kills the natural man, destroys him, burns him out, roots it up out of my breast, preparing me sanctifying me that prepares my soul for the baptism of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is that moment of redemption, being born again. That's the moment of redemption. So the baptism of fire is not enough. And baptisms of fire, we can see examples of that, like in Third Nephi, the beginning of Third Nephi 11, the multitude experiencing baptism of fire. Uh, that baptism of fire is just a mighty remission of sins, but... Uh, but without the baptism of the Holy Ghost accompanying it, it is not the saving ordinance. More on, there's more on that in other podcasts. We won't go into more detail on that particular notion here. But, um, okay, so understanding that this is the beginning of our new journey now, that's the gate that we should enter this baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost, uh, we want to see that this moment of redemption makes us the children of Christ. We were just reading that in Mosiah chapter 5. Well, before we do, I'm going to read just a couple more verses here about how this process, killing the natural man, is that process of sanctifying us 
and then and then we'll go back to Mosiah 5. So real quick, let's look at a few verses. 3 Nephi 27. The statement from Jesus himself. No unclean thing can enter into his kingdom. Therefore, and here it is again. Therefore, so this is why we need it. Therefore, nothing entereth into his rest, save it be those who have washed their garments in my blood. So we see now a couple of references. Mosiah 4 has said it. Jesus says, says it here in 3 Nephi 27, referring to the blood of Jesus Christ, the atonement. So this event happens through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because of their faith and the repentance of all their sins under the faithfulness to the end. Now look at verse 20. And, uh, now this is the commandment. Repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me and be baptized in my name, that ye may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost. You may stand spotless before me at the last day. So there it is again. Be sanctified. He specifies that, that this baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost sanctifies us. Okay? Uh, Alma 5 also says it. Having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Bring forth works, meet for repentance. All right? And DNC 39.18 also emphasizes it. Inasmuch as they do repent and receive the fullness of my gospel and become sanctified. Well, receiving the fullness of his gospel means means repenting and coming unto the Lord and receiving baptism of water and then finding the Holy Ghost, which becomes uh, sanctified here. See, I will stay my hand in judgment. And one more, I love this one, with Adam in Moses 6, 59, and then skipping down to 65, 66. Okay, so 59, then 65, 66. By reason of the transgression comes the fall, which fall brings death. And inasmuch as ye were born into the world by water, blood, and spirit, which I've made, and so become a dust of a living soul, even so ye must be born again into the kingdom of heaven. There it is, be born again. Of water and of the spirit. Cleansed by blood, even the blood of mine only begotten. There it is again. Here it is. That ye might be sanctified from all sin. So there it is. We need to be sanctified. And enjoy the words of eternal life in this world, eternal life in the world to come, even immortal glory. Let's skip down. And thus he, Adam, was baptized, and the Spirit of God descended upon him, and thus he was born of the Spirit, because the Spirit of God descended upon him. And he became quickened in the inner man. Made alive, quickened, born again. That's what quickened means. And he heard a voice out of heaven saying, Thou art baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is the record of the Father, the Son, henceforth forever. All right, and then if we look here, just right past it, and there are after the order of him who was without beginning of days, end of years, from all eternity to all eternity, and then right here, Behold, thou art one in me. So this event is when we are reconciled to God and become one in him a son of God, and thus, and thus, by this same process, right here, and thus, this is the thus part, baptism, water, fire, and Holy Ghost, and thus may all become my sons or daughters. Amen. So this is the process by which that happens. One more reference, being sanctified and through the blood of Christ. Moroni 10.33, again, if you by the grace of God are perfect in Christ, deny not his power, then are ye sanctified in Christ by the grace of God through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the covenant of the Father 
the new and everlasting covenant, unto a remission of your sins, that ye become holy without spot. This becoming holy is the same thing as we just read in Mosiah 3, become a saint. All right? Become holy or become a saint. Mosiah 3, same thing. Okay? Now, jump. So, jumping back to Mosiah 5, focusing, we already read this, but focusing on this other statement, being born again, he says that the Lord spiritually begets us. It's a funny word to say because we don't say that very often. He spiritually begets us through this process, and that's how we become his sons and his daughters. Or we we become the children of Christ. Now, in 3 Nephi 9, we were just reading verse 20 and 21, but just before that, he preps with this statement. This is all one, you'll see that it's all one subject. He's talking about the same thing, even a few verses prior. As many as have received me, or received the fullness of my gospel, like we just read in, in DNC 39, as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. So same statement that we just read from Mosiah 5. The sons or daughters of God. So if we receive Christ by doing what we're talking about, we become sons and daughters. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. So there we go. That's how we receive him. Believing on his name and doing as he says. For behold, and then by me redemption cometh. So there's the statement again of redemption. For behold, by me redemption cometh. This is redemption. Okay. So becoming his sons and his daughters, being spiritually begotten, is what we need to have. It's, it's that That's the born again. That is what the born again is referring to. Being born of the Spirit, being spiritually begotten of Jesus Christ. That's how he becomes our father, our adopted father. This is a process of adoption that we need. So let's take a couple uh, of verses to look at this idea of adoption. We just saw these from Moses 6 and then 39 again and Mosiah chapter 5. Uh, let's add to that a couple other statements. Let's see. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without spot, without blame, just like this is exactly what Moroni said. Exactly what Moroni said. We We just read it become holy without spot or without blemish, or in this case, without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. There it is. To himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted, being accepted of God. All right. Now, this idea of predestinated us or chosen us before the foundation of the world, that is a little bit deeper than we have time to go into, but that is related to the statements from Jesus, those whom thou hast given me, back to taking us back to 3 Nephi 19 in his prayer. But um, don't have time to go into that. But for there's just some important connections there that I'd like to point out. You know, as, as your tour guide, look to the left, 
Come back and visit that later if you want. Okay, next one, though, same topic of this adoption, Romans 9. Take a look here, uh, Romans 9, 6 through 8. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. What? What do you mean? Everyone's not Israel which are of Israel. Well, let's keep going and then we'll talk about it. Neither because of the seed of Abraham are they all children of Abraham. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, that is, to clarify, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Okay, so uh, let us clarify what he's saying here. In other words, he's saying uh, everyone isn't spiritual Israel that are literal descendants of Israel. That's what that's saying. Neither just because they're descendants of Abraham are they all children of Abraham. But in Isaac or in Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the promise that thy seed shall be called, the seed of Christ shall all be called, shall also be called the seed of Abraham. So what is he talking about? That is, they which are the children of the flesh or literal descendants, they are not necessarily the children of God. What? Well, it's because only the children of the promise, which promise? The promise that was mentioned in Moroni 10. This is in the covenant of the Father unto the remission of your sins that ye become holy without spot. That promise, that covenant of the Father, that promise of being baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost if we come unto him. Okay? That promise which Nephi says here, Unto the fulfilling of the promise which God hath made, that if ye entered in by the way, ye should receive. You should receive what? Received the Holy Ghost. You received the Holy Ghost, which is comes through the baptism by fire in the Holy Ghost. That is fulfilling the promise which God made. That, that is the covenant for us. And that's what's talked about here by Paul. The children of the promise are counted for the seed, the seed of Christ. Okay, the seed of Christ. The seed or children of Christ. We must be the seed or children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. The children or seed of Christ, his sons and his daughters. We must reach that level, and that's what is being said here. So it sounds a little bit interesting and cryptic. But when you break it down, it makes perfect sense of what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to say it's the same idea when uh, the statement to the Pharisees, look, you think you have Abraham for your father. Um, God can of these stones raise up seed unto Abraham, which is a statement that God would raise up seed to Abraham out of anybody who would come into the gospel and take their stony heart, by the way, interesting metaphor, take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh instead and make them seed of Abraham or children of Abraham or blood Israel through that adoption process and also the children of Christ. So that puts the promise to Abraham in perspective of why it was so significant. That promise to Abraham was extremely significant 
because everyone who's going to be saved must become adopted as children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. Well, Abraham was given the promise that they would also be considered his sons and daughters. So it put Abraham right in that spiritual lineage of Jesus Christ and said, they all have to come under you to come under me. That's a really significant promise, and it helps us understand that. So this adoption process is what we all have to go through in order to be redeemed. That's how redemption comes, as we've uh, read several times now. And uh, that it's all through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood, the atonement. We've seen that now in several places in Moroni 10, 3 Nephi 27, um, Mosiah chapter 4, 3 and 4. Uh, we, we see it like, and that makes sense, obviously, because that's how, that's how we got in 2 Nephi 2. All right. Now, interesting to, to note that Nephi mentioned that this is only the beginning of the path. Okay. Back to verse 18 here in 2 Nephi 31. Then after this significant event, then are you in the straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. Now, this takes me to the next point that leads eventually to uh, a further podcast. Uh, here we want to look at section 84 because this idea of leading us to eternal life, there's something after the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost that needs to happen next. It's, it just begins this path and this path leads elsewhere. And so let's go to section 84 verses 19 to 24. This greater priesthood, the first order, the Melchizedek priesthood administers the gospel. So we need to receive the gospel and be sanctified, which is what we saw in section 39, receive the fullness of my gospel and be sanctified. Okay. So, so the greater priesthood administers the gospel, which is how he gets sanctified, and it holds the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Well, eternal life is to know um, God and Jesus Christ. So we're on the path that leads to eternal life. Um, be sure to also check out the podcast, What is Eternal Life, for a deeper dive on that subject. But then going on, look, therefore, in the ordinances thereof, in the ordinances of the gospel, the power of godliness is manifest. The power of godliness. Now, just via context alone, we can deduce that the power of godliness is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. How so? Well, first of all, the gospel is sanctifies us, um, and we saw that already. Now, Moroni 10, we read verse 33, but look in verse 32. Come unto Christ, be perfected in him. Deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace you may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, this is the process of, of being spiritually begotten, then if that happens, you can't deny his power, the power of God. That, Moroni is saying the same thing. The power of God, the power of godliness. Then if by the grace of God you're perfect in Christ and deny not his power, then then you're sanctified by the Christ by in Christ by the grace of God. So this power of God or power of godliness is specifically referring to that process 
or that moment that sanctifies us, the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And it's also shown here as we continue. So let's read verse 21. And without the ordinances of the gospel and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. So, so if you don't have the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, then you don't have the power of godliness manifest unto men in the flesh. Now, this phrase, in the flesh, when you look through scriptures, in the flesh refers to in a mortality or immortality. Um, as a as a as opposed to in your physical body. Now, while you're in your physical body is what it means, like during mortality. That's important for understanding lots of other scriptures, by the way. Um, but the next verse, look at this. For without this, without the power of godliness being manifest unto men in mortality, without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Now, look at the verse... Next verse, now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to give them the power of godliness, or in other words, to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. Now, verse 23 is a transition where without this, without what? The power of godliness, no man can see the face of God. But then verse 23 says, sanctify his people to behold the face of God. So then we have... An equation, sanctify his people equals power of godliness. Well, we already walked through extensively that sanctification is through the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Therefore, the power of godliness is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. In fact, there was one verse that we didn't read on that topic. We'll go to it right now. Romans 15, verse 16. That I should be minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. There it is. Well, what power and authority ministers the gospel of God, the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood, that the offering up of the Gentiles, what offering? The, the offering of a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Well, if that's how we're sanctified, then that's how we get this little equation. So he sought diligently to bring the power of godliness to his people or to sanctify his people, or to bring the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost to his people, that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts, and could not endure God's presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest, while in the wilderness, or while in the flesh, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost puts us on the path which leads to eternal life. It's supposed to lead to this event of beholding of beholding the face of God. Seeing the face of God in this life while in the wilderness. See that? Or which is also called entering into his rest, which is also the same as enduring his presence, which is also the same thing as being in the fullness of his glory. So that will be addressed more in depth later, but it's important to understand that this event of the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost is prerequisite for this higher event of entering into the Lord's rest. We've got to have that. And obviously we need it because we are fallen, we are doomed, and, and I love the way Jacob paints that picture in 2 Nephi chapter 9. There are there are 
there are many places in in the Book of Mormon, particularly where where the bleak picture is painted by these wonderful passages. Let's see, Second Nephi nine. Let's read verses. Let's start in verse seven. Wherefore it must, be, it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement. This corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon man must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and crumble to its mother earth, earth to rise no more. Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and become the devil to rise no more. Interesting. Here, he's saying that we have to have this resurrection to not become subject to the devil, even if I was a good person. And our spirits must have become like unto him. And we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God, to remain with the father of lies and misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who be God the first presence. This is pretty bleak, and he's talking to the believers. He's talking to the believers, and verse 10, Oh, how great the goodness of our God, who prepares a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster, yea, that monster, death and hell, which I call the death of the body, and also the death of the spirit. And because of the way of deliverance of our God, the Holy One of Israel, this death, which I have spoken, which is the temporal, shall deliver up its dead, which death is the grave. And this death of which I have spoken, which death, which is the spiritual death, shall deliver up its dead, which spiritual death is hell. Wherefore, death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits, and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies of the spirits of men will be restored to one another. And it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Uh, also, Back in Alma chapter 5, we have this same idea, verse uh, 60. And now I say unto you that the good shepherd doth call after you, and if you will hearken unto his voice, he will bring you into his fold. This is talking about the same adoption. Hearken to his voice, he'll bring you into his fold, and ye are his sheep. At that moment, and he commandeth you that you suffer no ravenous wolf to enter among you, that you may not be destroyed. Interesting injunction. All right. Now, just a little bit above, if he says. So we looked at verse fifty-seven about being sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost. All right. Oh, fifty-four. Fifty-four. Sorry. And this idea of being his sheep, being adopted, well. Just above in verse 39, he he says, if you're not adopted, then what happens? If you're not the sheep of the good shepherd, of what fold are ye? Behold, the devil is your shepherd. Same thing that Jacob said in 2 Nephi 9. The devil is your shepherd, and ye are of his fold. Who can deny this? So until So this is a scary prospect, because until the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost... You are not in the fold of Christ. You're not his son or his daughter, which according to Jacob and according to Alma means that the devil owns us. And that is frightful. Now, that's exactly what happened to these people under King uh, Benjamin. He delivers this. And these, these, were a, these were great, a wonderful, righteous people. However... Through this mighty discourse and the power with which he gave it, 
they viewed themselves in their own carnal state. In other words, they saw that they hadn't been spiritually born again yet. They still needed the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So even if you have baptism of water, it's not complete until that. So, so that, that event where we are brought into the fold of the Good Shepherd, begotten sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, and also becoming the seed of Abraham, uh, until that moment, it's not a good outlook for us, which is why we need that redemption. That is the moment of redemption. And this concludes our our deep dive or semi-deep dive into this topic. Hopefully this is enough to take a lot of these elements and study more in depth on your own. There are many elements to this to be explored. Wanted to cover uh, these important basic pieces of information to make sure that we can understand some of the most important elements of baptism find the Holy Ghost. And let us maybe take some comments or questions for discussion. And then after that, we will move over to our uh, discussion in, in our Zoom chat, which you can get through um, doctrineofchrist.com forward slash join. Uh, we will go there after a brief answering any questions that might be here. I'm going to check here in the uh, chat for any questions that are would be great to address. Or, or retype them in the chat, please. And I'll just give a second because I know it takes a minute for some of the questions to appear. Oh, I do see a question here from Ryan. Does this include the record of heaven is at the fullness of the scriptures? Oh, good question. Maybe that's part of the conversation that was happening earlier in the chat that I didn't see. Um, but interestingly enough, absolutely, uh, baptism from the Holy Ghost is an event that's included in the record of heaven. If that's not what you're asking, I apologize, but that is an interesting comment, and that is something that we um, can look at really quickly here from section 88. Section 88 shows that in the very beginning of the section. Let me just pull it up. Behold, this is pleasing unto your Lord, and the angels rejoice over you. The alms of your prayers have come up into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth and are recorded in the book of the names of the sanctified. Well, who are the sanctified? Those who receive the baptism find the Holy Ghost. Recorded in the book of the names of the sanctified. Okay, so interesting there. So... All right, we'll see you guys over in the Zoom.